My name is Matthew Smith. Welcome to Man Mark, and we are asking, where's the talking lads? You only get into, out the game what you put into it, Shelley. Mm -hmm. And I put everything into it I could and still do for the people and for the people that I was playing for and the people that I was manager for. I didn't cheat them out of anything. So I put all my heart and soul to the extent that my family suffered. Do you regret that at all? Oh, yeah, I regret, oh, I regret it very much, yeah. Somebody said the football's a matter of life and death to you. I said, listen, it's more important than that. Welcome to Man Marking, the podcast that uses football as a vehicle to encourage men to become more comfortable talking about their mental health. Today we're talking to Matthew Smith. Yeah, of course. Um, so I'm Matthew, Matthew Smith. Um, I'm one of the founders of If You Care Share Foundation. We are a suicide prevention and bereavement support charity based in the Northeast. Um, set up in memory of my older brother, Dan. Um, unfortunately, I, I lost my older brother, Dan, to suicide. Um, he was 19 when he took his own life. I was 10 at the time. Um, still don't really know why he made that decision. And I don't think I've, I ever will. I've kind of come to that acceptance. Um, and it was myself, my my cousin and my younger brother. We decided we just wanted to do something just to remember Dan. Um, it was at the time when wristbands were, were very in, the live strong wristbands yeah. and all that <laughs> sort of stuff. Um, not so much in the live strong ones now, are they? After after Lanson kind of his his backlash, but um, so yeah, at, at the time we uh, we came up with the idea of just getting a wristband made, uh, wanted Dan's name on it, and then came up with the slogan "If you care, share." And we just wanted to raise a bit of money for a local charity or a charity that we knew that was kind of helping. And Samaritans was the the one that kind of came up. We aimed to raise about five hundred pound. Um, turned out that actually the idea could support a few more people hopefully kind of create a bit more awareness and so we wanted to target young men obviously Dan was a young lad and um, but also suicide was the second biggest killer of young men at the time and um, now it's the biggest killer and in the northeast we have one of the highest rates football's a massive part of our lives as a family and a massive part of a lot of people's lives up and down the country so we thought that's a good way to target people so we sold the wristbands at the local football ground so Newcastle, Sunderland, Middlesbrough, Hartlepool and Darlington when they were in the football league um, and we raised just under £50,000 for Samaritans which obviously was amazing kind of started a lot and then uh, became a charity in 2011 and that was where the aims were kind of uh, came up with now what we do we do a lot of work and um, so we support people who's lost somebody and um, so that that was a big part of when we lost Dan because people wanted to help but they didn't really know what to say how to act even G's didn't know better so that's a big part of what we do but what I lead on now um, is our prevention work and we work a lot with young people um, in schools uh, but we also work in partnership with the Premier League uh, the Football League through the LFE and the WSL through the FA um, so football is a big part of, of my, my life kind of outside of the organisation but within the organisation we work heavily within football 
talking about emotions, talking about mental health, talking about, you know, it's it's okay to feel okay and it's okay to feel crap. Um, it's more about what we do when we feel them things. That's the important bit. Joining me as usual on the show, I've got Ryan, I've got Ant, fellas. How are we doing? Are we okay? Ryan, you look okay. Are you okay? Feel okay. Got this cut knee, as you've seen. Yeah, it is. From footy. Um, but apart from that, positive. Apart from that? Just yeah. the knee? Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> so the strangest conversation I've ever just, seen. Just checking. Yeah, apart from that, I'm okay. Oh, that's okay. Yeah. And how are your knees? Uh, yeah, they're all right, yeah. Yeah, they're fine, yeah. Holding me up. Other, yeah, otherwise, well. okay. Absolutely fantastic, mate. Buzzing, you know, we're in a, another week of the Euros. And we are, mate. It's getting to the business end. It's getting a little bit tricky. That's Knock it. Knockout football's on the way. We're in the stage now where we are reaching permutation. Oh. You know, if you were aboard a train headed, you know, you're, you're on the Euro 2020 Express. You know, you, you've passed Nason Dormer Station. You're heading now towards permutations platform. And that's the dog. Even she's excited. She's excited <laughs> for the pair mutations. Poor mutations, perhaps. Oh, God. Um, anyway, uh, yeah. We should probably move on. How are you before we go? Oh, I'm I'm fine. Thank you, mate. Thank okay, you for asking. How are, you, um, how are your knees? Not good. Not no. good. I mean, we. Well, I mean, I don't want to bore the listener already. I've not even said hello. Hello to you, the listener. Thank you also for joining. I hope your knees are okay. We just hope all of our collective knees are Holding us up, as Ant said, and that's mm. that's kind of all that we can hope for from knees, isn't it, really? That's all but, you can hope for at the moment. Well, I, I mean, to be fair, that would be a dream at this stage. Um, my knees are not great, but other than that, I'm absolutely fine. I am, as Ant said, also looking forward to the business end of the group stages of Euro 2020, mm-hmm. as we discussed on uh, the previous Friday. I'm sure listeners have listened and enjoyed. If you haven't, then get back on and listen to it, because it was excellent. If I do say so myself. Described as hard work by one of our friends. <laughs> it's described as a graft, the first episode. The yeah, graft. A graft. Um, and that's a friend who yeah. said that. Anyway, enough of that. Let's move on. Today we've got Matthew Smith on the show. Matthew Smith from If You Care, Share. So first of to call then, and do you want to let the listeners know how this interview came about? I believe it came about through Johnny Benjamin. It did. Who recommended him to us. and. Um. Yeah. It, obviously, with Johnny Benjamin, we've got coming out in next week. Next week, mate. Yep. Absolutely fantastic. Uh. Yeah. So Matt, Matt Smith, just a, a joy to listen to. To be Lovely honest, it man, must be must be the accent. I think they've always said that about like phone call centres, haven't they, and stuff like that. But it is a really nice. I thought you were going to give us a little rendition of the old uh, northeast. I, I don't want to do it. Do it a disservice, really. It's fantastic. It is. Um, yeah. It, it, just a, a lovely guy. It's come from a. a a really d- tragic event, but something that's really, really good has come out of it, which is just a massive positive, really. I, I think it's um, nice to see someone go from that young age to, to build something like this. I think yeah. you'll hear in a minute. I, I'm not going to spoil this. People probably already know it. Raising £50,000 from selling wristbands mm. at football matches Incredible, is... Incredible, isn't it? It's some going. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. And then to provide such support and, and that to to the rest of the, the North East and the country as well is is amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I think there were some um, comparisons that could be made with the episode we did with Johnny Sharples some months ago. Um, way back, I think, in either season two or three. Uh, so I think 
probably you know after you've listened to this episode well worth jumping back listening to the johnny sharples episode uh, kind of similar sort of themes going through that as well speaking of themes ryan would you like to tell the listener what this week's theme is, please, mate? Absolutely. Hugely important one. Um, improving the bereavement support for families of suicide victims. Absolutely. And and I think it's, it's you know, throughout the whole time we've been doing these podcasts and we've been talking to people, A, who've been, you know, close to people who've lost their life through suicide and also people who have been in a position where they've either contemplated or acted on suicidal thoughts as well. And I think one element of the of of all of those kind of stories that maybe gets missed out for, for for kind of understandable reasons sometimes is the sort of level of support that comes after the events for for families. And I think it's incredibly important, as you say, Ryan, and something we'll touch on in today's episode quite a few times. And that's our theme. If you, the listener, pick up on any other themes that we haven't and you want us to discuss them, then you can find us on email on the Gmails, manmarkingpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can slide into our DMs, drop us a tweet. We're always happy to hear from you. Our handle is at Markin underscore man. And don't forget to use that hashtag, where's the talking lads. So I'm now going to hand you over to Matthew Smith. And then we'll see you on the other side. You're listening to Man Markin. easiest place for us to start Matt would be how are you how are you doing how's the last 12 months been yeah I I think for me kind of personally they've been difficult but actually looking back over the 12 months it's it's been a good lesson you know learning more about myself learning more about what makes me tick and kind of how to look after myself Um, unfortunately at the start of the first lockdown, um, my dad was diagnosed with uh, cancer. Um, so that was a real kind of kick in the balls of we need to deal with this as well as everything else that's going on. Um, thankfully, kind of NHS were amazing and uh, he's had treatment and dif- different stuff and hopefully they've got rid of it all. But that kind of that shock to the system, as well as all the other stuff that was going around, it was the stuff that I would normally rely on to help me to cope. So the social aspect football you know kind of being around people playing and the release of that it wasn't there so it helped me i think to to understand and appreciate a little bit more about the simple things and the difference that they make um and you know i hope for more people that we take some of the the positive coping strategies that we've hopefully learned over the last 12 months um, into kind of our normality, whatever normal life will look like as we kind of continue over the next next months. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm okay. I'm doing I'm doing quite well. I would say considering um, the difficulties that we've all found, and you know, I would say touch wood, I'm I'm one of the fortunate ones um, that hasn't had any major impact over what has happened in the last 12 months. You know, I'm very fortunate that all my family is still here or everybody that I care about is still here. Um, I still have stability and, you know, a routine. I know for a lot of people that's been taken away. Um, A big thing for me, and I think we all need to think about, and, you know, for anybody that's listening is, as we go back to whatever this normality may be, is we don't... We don't make up for lost time and go a bit over the top with these things. You know, I, I, I'm, I, as much as anybody, cannot wait to have a nice pint. But 
my concern is do people go a little bit too far with it? Yeah. Um, because we all know, you know, being rough, getting on the drink the day after never feels that great. And it does does affect us and it can put us in a, it's not a nice place to be when no. we're feeling very rough. So um, while while it's about enjoying it and, you know, enjoying them things we've missed out, it's, it's still going steady with it, um, which is easier said than done, me included with that. <laughs> yeah, I think that's um, yeah, but you've been <laughs> that's spot on, Matt. Um, yeah, I certainly am. I'm like that. I'm like, oh, I just I'm concerned about the day after the first night out when when we're not allowed to go out again. Just thinking, ah, oh, it's gonna be. I'm gonna be an absolute disgrace. Yeah, so I just I just kind of nervous about that whole experience. But yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> um. So you you were talking there about about football, Matt, and and as well as being a, a mental health podcast, we're also a, a football podcast as well. And yep. what's your what's your earliest football memory? I think my one of my earliest vivid memories of football, I would say, is probably probably playing. Um, I I can remember my first game playing for a local team. Um, I remember the kit. Um, I can't really remember much about the game, but I remember I. I didn't take the kit off for the rest of the weekend. Um, we had to go away for a for for a family trip straight after, and I didn't take the kit off for the whole weekend. Um, and that was that was definitely my most kind of early memory of playing and um, watching football. Um, I am unfortunately at this moment in time a Newcastle fan, um, and my first ever game was uh, Newcastle against Everton. Are you a blue or a red? Uh, I'm Samia, myself. Oh, hey, that's what I like to hear. That's what I like to hear. <laughs> um, so, yeah, my first ever game was Newcastle-Everton, and we won 6-2. Um, and I always remember I went with my, my dad and my, my older brother, Dan, obviously, when he when he was here. And um, I always remember Dan saying to us after the game, mind, all the games aren't like that. You're not going to get to see that many goals. <laughs> um, and he, he was right, to be fair. He was, he was very right. But, um, yeah. I'd say that's probably me, me early ones. And I think football is so important. You know, these sort of podcasts and kind of touching on what you said before, for when we talk about the demographics and stuff, football has the ability to help and speak to so many people in, in ways that we can't just by talking about things um, and speak to people in the way that they understand. So, um, you know, I, I know how valuable it is. I know how much of a difference it makes for me. You know, it's I describe it as the, it was the thing that got me through my grief at times. Um, so yeah, it's um, it's funny, really. You know, I must be one of the only. I've seen Newcastle play, I think, three times, and I must be the right. only only person on 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 God's green earth who has never seen Newcastle lose. They always wow. do. So I've seen. So Newcastle played played Tranmere in I think it was two thousand and one. Or, two, or 1999, I think it was 1999 in the FA right. Cup in the FA Cup quarterfinal and beat us three two at um, at Prenton Park. So I was yeah. at that game, and then I I saw Newcastle draw two all at Goodison Park about five or six years ago. Right. Okay. And then I also saw Newcastle win two 0 at Wigan about four or five years ago in the Championship, yeah. um, which was which was a an incredible experience, mainly because Dan Byrne was playing left back for Wigan at the time, and he's just—it's wow. an absolute sight to behold. Dan Byrne, yeah. at left back. Dan Byrne, what, what, what a player! By the way, he um, when I when I was younger, I was at Hartlepool. He was at Darlington, and kind of growing up. Then when I was playing 
different kind of teams. I remember we played a friendly against Darlington, and he was always that tall, always that tall. <laughs> um, and then he, he moved from Darlington to Fulham. But uh, there's a story. There's a great story of he was he wasn't going to play football. He was going to go study instead because he was really interested in studies. And thankfully, obviously, went to Darlington. But yeah, what a sight to see that kid playing that left back. Fair play at Rum though. Yeah, he's a good player as well. He's a really yeah. good player. He's just um, it's just unusual, isn't it? Seeing somebody yeah. of that, <laughs> yeah. that sort yeah. of physical shape playing left back. Hundred um, percent. And then we you you mentioned at the at the very top, Matt, and you know it's it's sort of shaped a lot of your of your teenage and and, and adult years. Was the was the, obviously the sad death of, of your older brother Daniel, who, who took his own life. Would you be able to kind of talk us through your sort of memories of? Of, of his death and, and and what that time was like for for you and for your family yeah um so it was well it's it's just past the the anniversary um of his death so it fell up it fell on an Easter Monday so we kind of get hit with two two anniversaries um because the dates always changing um but it was Easter Monday um I, re- I remember bits of it very very vividly and I remember other bits kind of very vaguely but so we'd gone out shopping, me, my mom, my dad, and my younger brother, Ben. Um, Dan had stayed at home because he was 19 and what 19-year-old wants to go shopping with the family. <laughs> um, so went, went out for the day, uh, came back and came, came in the house. And um, I always remember put Spy Kids 3D on the TV. Um, and then, I don't know, a couple, couple minutes after... Um, I just remember my mom screaming upstairs. Um, and I, my first thought was that somebody was in the house, like somebody was trying to hurt my mom. Um, but then I could hear her shouting, Dan. And I had no, I, I couldn't work out what was going on. I, did, I thought they might be fighting or I didn't know what was going on. My dad kind of ran up the stairs. I always remember my dad shouting and, and like in a state of panic and then him screaming and I, my initial reaction was to say, Ben, stay here and I, I'll go up. Um, and then obviously I, I seen seen what, what Dan had done, kind of that, you know, he was there and he, well, I didn't, I didn't fully understand what it was at that moment in time, but to see him and, you know, that image will always be with me. But my first then reaction was ring, we need to ring for an ambulance. So I grabbed the phone, I took it upstairs um, and then I can just remember running out out to the top of the street because I thought I need to tell the ambulance where they are. And it was a really wet day and I had no shoes on. There was a there was a lady, bless her, and she was trying to bring us back into the house. And I was stood at the top of the street. And then my my next memory was was kind of so me and my brother had been split up and we'd been put in some of our neighbours' houses and then we were brought back together and my dad kind of sat us together and said that, you know, he's he's gone, he's, he's died. Um, and to have that, to go from, you know, I, I, I always say I'm very fortunate. I've had a relatively easy upbringing apart from kind of, well, up to the age of 10, um, you know, amazing family amazing friends and to have your best friend basically being told you're never going to see them again and you don't really understand why you haven't had time to prepare um it just put me on a complete 
a complete different path, to be honest, a path I never thought I'd be on. Um, and there's that constant reminder, there's them constant what ifs, there's them constant whys and what could I have done, what couldn't we have done and there's just all all them questions you know I'll I'll live with them images and that experience for for the rest of my life and nobody nobody should have them images never mind you know a, a 10 year old kid I um I thought there was something interesting that you said right at the very start Matt about you know you you you, you kind of were trying to understand for a long time why what yeah. happened had happened and you've come to accept that you'll never fully know why. Mm. And how, how have you managed to get to a place where you're able to accept that? Cause it, it just seems like such a, an incredibly difficult thing to be able to, mm. to do. And you're, I mean, you, you and I are quite similar ages and, 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 and you're so you're still, still young, still relatively young. And it seems like that must show sort of quite incredible maturity to, to be able to, to get to that place. How have you kind of managed to to reconcile that in your own mind? Um, with difficulty, if I if I if I'm honest, um, I think you know for for there were certain times where I would blame other people. Um, I would blame Dan. I would hate Dan. I even kind of pictured a situation in my head because I couldn't imagine that the brother that I knew would do that. I pictured a situation where somebody brought into the house and did it to him, and it took. For for me, what what I what I understand and what I've come to accept, and this is by you know kind of speaking to other people, speaking to others that have lost people, you know, going through different therapy. And for me, if that if Dan thought we were better off with him here, he would he would still be here. Dan just wanted to escape a certain situation, a certain feeling, a certain emotion, whatever was going on. Um, and that seemed seemed like the answer. I I genuinely don't think that Dan wanted to die. I just think he'd forgot he'd forgotten how to live and he'd forgotten the the valuable things. And if he took that step back, he'd still be here. Um, you know, I've I've tried to recreate and try to create all these circumstances of what has caused it, but w- nobody will know because the person that does know is it, it, is is not here. And I think what I, I think is so important is while, while yes, this, I will always live with this. I'll always live with the memories and the what ifs there's still a life after suicide. And the thing that kicks me up the backside is knowing that Dan wouldn't want me to spend hours, days trying to work out the why, because I, unfortunately I'm never going to know. It sounds Matt, like you're, kind of family dynamic you know at, at that time and and, and 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 you know growing up and stuff was you were very close and it seemed yeah. like you had a, a you know a happy childhood um you know up until as you were saying up until you you were 10 years old how did you sort of you know as a family how did you sort of learn to talk about it how did you learn to communicate about it and and, and almost you know how did it affect the, the dynamic of, of of your family we're we're still learning um I think we there's been a lot of clashes in terms of you know we all have our own thoughts our own feelings our own concerns and for a, for a long time I became I became very good at just saying what I thought people wanted to hear um because to be honest I didn't think anybody would really understand how I felt which was I just wanted to be with my brother um I didn't want to die but I wanted to be with my brother 
and but I knew if I told I told my kind of parents that the impact that would have. Um, a bit a big part I think that we found over time is is finding finding the way that works for each other. So you know, for me, to be honest, kind of talking talking and sitting down and kind of really pouring my heart my heart out of my emotions and feelings I can't really do it that often and what what I need to do is just check in with myself each day so I've kind of made an agreement with my parents and I do it every day of talking and I tell them how my day has been um but it's more about what I do after that um and you know the things I have in place i.e my football running um exercise is a big thing for me but also the the support network I have around us you know I'm I'm very fortunate I have a, a very tight-knit kind of group of friends who I can talk to about anything. Um, I'm very fortunate that I have a very understanding and supportive girlfriend as well. So um, it's finding your process and my process is completely different to my mum and dad's and my younger brothers. Um, and unfortunately, we're still learning with that and it can be difficult sometimes, it can be. Um, but I think, you know, for, for anybody who who has either been in a similar situation or are struggling themselves is it's about finding your way and, and, and keep pushing through them dark periods because the dark periods get that little bit lighter. And I know it's a little bit cheesy. I will always go back to that, that horrendous place and that experience of missing my brother. But over time that, that place gets a little bit smaller. I spend a lot less time there um, and I can manage it a little bit better when I'm there as well. Yeah, that makes perfect sense, Matt. And I think, as you say, it's, it's a, you know, we often talk on, on the podcast about being kind of, you know, not being passive with your own mental health, being an active participant in it and, and being ensured to, you know, to engage with those things and yeah, and be yeah. prevent, preventative. Um, you, 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 were, you were talking about your, the first football match that you ever went to and, and, uh, and Dan said to you, you know, it, you know, rightly so about Newcastle. It won't always be, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It won't, <laughs> won't always be a six-two victory. It was obviously a premonition to the forthcoming Steve Bruce years. Um, oh, gone. <laughs> he sat, you know, from from what I've read about what you, you know, what I've read about you about your brother and what you've kind of briefly told us at the start of this podcast. He sounds just like a, you know, just a normal lad, you know, into oh. his football and. Yeah, and, and and so what? You know, what what your memories of, of Dan? What type of lads was he? Yeah, uh, mate. This is this is this is the thing. He, he was just your stereotypical lad. You know, he was nineteen. Um, loved football. He had he had an alright job. Kind of hitty missy relationships. Um, but he had so many friends, like so many, to the point where even now there are some people who will say hello, and I think I I don't know who you are, but it was one of Dan's mates. Um, the 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 thing that I kind of vividly remember is he was just always happy. He was always winding people up and um, having a laugh. Uh, he quite liked to uh, get into his birthday suit quite often and take all his clothes off. Um, and there's nothing, there's nothing but good memories, good laughs, you know, even, even for the lads that were my age and quite often like we'll play football together and he'd wind, he coached my age group a little bit as well. And it was just nothing but nothing but kind of good memories and happy memories. And that's the hardest thing. And I think that's the hardest thing. The more I talk about this and the more I hear other people who've kind of gone through something similar of 
they are, you know, the happy-go-lucky, the people who from the outside looking in are, are so happy are potentially the ones that maybe are struggling and are the ones that unfortunately are making these, these well, life-ending decisions, unfortunately. And I do, I do feel that that football can can come into that and can play a part in, you know, acknowledging that life is crap sometimes the fact of the matter it is and we can't yes yes it's about trying to stay positive but life is tough sometimes and we've got to give ourselves the best chance of fighting through them them tough periods um and unfortunately dan was never told that you know he was never told it because my mom and dad and you know their parents they were never told it they weren't told it at school i wasn't really told it at school so it had but it has to change yeah i think that's 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 a really good point, Matt. I think, it, it, you know, I, I remember having a conversation once with a friend of mine who'd very recently come out of a relationship, like quite a long relationship with his partner. And he was trying to sort of reconcile how his, he was feeling about it. And I remember I said to him, I said, the only thing I can say to you, mate, is that it's a, it's just a bit shit. I yeah. said, it's just a bit shit right now. Yeah. I said, it won't always be shit, but it is just shit right now. And it's fine. Mm-hmm. Like, it's fine that it's shit, but it just is. Yeah. And yeah, and in them shit, shit periods, it's it's what we use to escape. Because I I really believe this that what we what we will do, and we're guilty of this, and I think this has been taken away a little bit over the last kind of over the lockdowns, is when things are shit, we will turn to drink. Some people turn to drugs. Some people turn to gambling. Some people turn to whatever. Some people turn to football. Some people turn to good things. But these negative things that then will have a negative impact on our social life, you know, drinking and having a, having a social life is is ha- happy days, brilliant. I I do it, but it's in moderation and it's on the on the kind of caveat that it's not going to have a major impact on you moving forward. When things are shit, the the easiest thing is to get obliterated and forget about it. But actually, long term, does that really help? Maybe not. Unfortunately, the next escape for a lot of people is you know. Then thinking about something like suicide, and it's never the option. It's never, it's never, it's never the the option we could go should go to because there's so many other things we can do to get through them shitty periods. And you're so right, you are. And when um, you know, it it's you know, it might it's sort of moving on from when you were you were turning into your teenage years, and and obviously your family, you know, and and, and your kind of your your circle around you is still dealing with what what what's happened and you know as we know that people's teenage years are, are particularly difficult you know in and of themselves without any of the you know without having to have gone through anything that that, that your family has has gone through but yeah. how did how did your own you know how was your own mental health you know as you you know you you started to become you know a teenager and then grown up into an adult and what have you and did you kind of you know you talked about keeping yourself in check now but did you ever have periods where you were particularly struggling and had to, to kind of seek help out? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I think when I was younger, it was a little bit more, I was less aware and it was a little bit easier to deal with. But as I become a little bit older, um, so more and more traits come, in, come into my life and, you know, more and more things that were difficult to manage. Um, so I was, I was diagnosed with OCD when I was... Um, 14 obsessive compulsive disorder and um still something i managed to do um i struggle with depression um, and anxiety and 
you know, I've taken medication. Um, I've been to therapy on numerous different occasions. Well, I say numerous, a few different occasions. Um, so yeah, I, I have struggled. I've had, I've had some very difficult times. Um, even after what I've been through, there has been times where I haven't spoke about it. Um, because even though I know it's not the case, it was easier. It was easier to deal with other people's shit as opposed to dealing with my own shit. Um, so I could tell other people to talk, but actually wouldn't really do it for myself. And, you know, it's been, it's been years of a process, but I do feel I am in a, in a place now where I don't think for, for me, because I'd had the worst thing in my life ever happened to me. I just wanted things to be positive all the time. So I would push all the negative down, ignore it, let it go. And then hopefully it'll disappear. But it was just pushing it, pushing it until, you know, it was too much. Um, so now I, I take, I take the bad days and I accept the bad days for what they are. Um, and actually it probably makes the good days that little bit sweeter. And I, to be honest, I probably have more good days now because I'm not ignoring the bad days and just accepting them for what they are. Yeah, that's very true. It's, 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 it's like if you ignore when it's bad, then it won't ever go away. So you won't ever have a proper good day, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I suppose if you acknowledge it, it means you can kind of at least deal with it in some way. You may not be able to kind of, yeah, you know, it doesn't go away completely, but at least you're able to tackle it head on, I suppose. Yeah, hundred percent. And it's like it's like that meme, um, you know, the cartoon where he's sat in the school and everything's on fire, and he's yeah. just saying, fine. <laughs> and that's like, Matt, that is my life. Like, honestly, that meme is my life, mate. You <laughs> were pure chaos, and you're just just winging it, and saying everything's fine. <laughs> um, but not look that 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 is. For me, it was kind of, it's like pushing it all into a jar and trying to put the lid on the jar, but eventually that jar is either going to break or you can't put the lid on. Um, and to to make the most of the time that that we have, we've got to deal with the, the difficult periods, haven't we? And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's something I, I've learned as I've grown up. Um, I think... Unfortunately, there isn't a step-by-step guide and you've got to learn the, the way that works for you. But um, yeah, I, I would I would like to say kind of I'm, I'm in a, a good position now with my mental health. That's good to hear, Matt. And, and you, know, I'd, uh, you know, I'm always, um, you know, I think OCD particularly is a very misunderstood um, diagnosis yeah. as well. Um, my mum's got OCD, so I've 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 grown up, you know. She was she was very ill when we were very young, so I, I'm I'm used to the, you know, what the dynamics of it of it actually play out like, rather yeah. than what people kind of imagine that it is. And it's um, yeah, no, it's it's good to hear that you're in a, you know, you're in a place where you're able to kind of, you know, live live life with you know with with positive things happen, even though you've still yeah. got to deal with that every single day. You yeah. um, you you started to. Uh, if you care share was about 10 years ago wasn't it and and that was yeah. i mean the thing do you know what matt the thing i really thought was really nice when i was reading about it was that you started it with other members of your family um and i just thought the whole thing seemed seemed incredibly warm there was something just warm about it and even just you know going on your website and having a look around and doing some research and what have you everything about it just feels feels really genuine and heartwarming and and i suspect that probably just comes from a place of 
you know, uh, you know, of genuine emotion and affection for for yeah. what you do. Could you kind of give the people who are listening a bit of an idea as to what you what the foundation does and and some of the incredible things that you've done over the last sort of decade? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. So I think you know a, a big part of of what we are is is that family feel. Um, I always say that yes, it was start, started by our family. Um, but our family has grown exponentially to hundreds, if not thousands of individuals in the people that we work with and the people that we support. Um, we kind of, we have a few different parts to what we do. The, the, the key kind of thing that we're always trying to prevent is suicide. Um, but we do that in a few different ways. So um, one of them ways is working with young people and talking about emotions, talking about mental health, but just talking about it in a normal way, not in, you know, we're not, we're not cl clinicians, we're not experts, we're not GPs, um, we don't have all these fancy letters bef before our names. Actually, we're just people with experience and just want to talk about it in a real fun way as well, I think. We can't, we can't be too serious with this because I think that's when people will zone out and, you know, it goes back to speaking to the people that normally wouldn't listen up. Um, so we work in primary schools, we work in secondary schools across the Northeast, uh, delivering workshops and then um, work, working in football clubs as well. So uh, we work across the country um, with majority of the Premier League clubs, um, majority of the football league clubs, and then most of the WSL clubs as well. Um, most of that work is with the, the young people. Um, so one, one day I can be working with the kids at the under eight level, um, all the way up to the lads who are on pros at the 23s. Um, the overall aim is then to continue that to, to the first team, but we work with coaches, we work with parents. Um, to be honest, I always say we'll talk to anybody that'll listen to us. So we, we've done we've done that for, for eight years. We've been delivering the workshops within football clubs. Um, we work with different businesses and stuff, but what we also do is we support people who are either at risk um, or somebody that has lost somebody to suicide for for you know anybody that's been bereaved so somebody that's been bereaved is then three times more likely um to make an attempt themselves so but unfortunately there isn't a kind of clear system or clear support service out there for people that's lost somebody um and it kind of was molded from when we lost dan i was you know kind of we were desperate for help my mom and dad especially and there was a family friend of ours said look i don't want you to take this in the wrong way but I know somebody who has also lost um, their child to suicide. Um, how would you feel about talking to them? And to be honest, my mom and dad's first reaction was no chance because they were three or four years down the line and they said, well, if they're still a mess, what, what hope have we got? So we're not speaking to them. However, they kind of come round to it and um, spoke to them and still keep in touch with that family now. And it actually gave the opposite to what they were thinking because it gave hope. You know, it, it showed that there was a life after suicide. Is it the life you want? No, but actually there is a life after suicide. So that's kind of where that side was born. Um, and it isn't about being counsellors. It's just about being there for people through the most difficult times, helping through the practical things, even to funerals, um, coroner inquests, uh, some of the most difficult things that you have to deal with while also dealing with the loss of a loved one. So we always class ourselves as T-shirt wearers, the, the staff who work for us, because, you know, majority of the staff do have quite literally been there and got the T-shirt in, in some respect. 
Um, so we now support people across the majority of the Northeast. Um, we are the one of the only of our kind. We created a, a model um, where we can now support individuals um, within the first 48 hours of, unfortunately, kind of hearing the news of a suspected death by suicide to somebody that they're, they're well, to one of the loved ones. Um, so we, we've grown, we've grown a lot, you know, kind of to see where we are and the idea it was um, to my mom, my mom has been the huge driving force in this. And I think part of kind of her passion has, is the reason we are where we are. Um, it started with my mom in our spare room. She got a little bit of funding for a little laptop uh, to the point now where we have 23 staff that are working for us. Um, we're supporting people across the Northeast. We're working with hundreds, if not thousands of young people um, across the months and we're hopefully saving lives. And that, that was always the aim. That was always the mission. I always said from, you know, from a very young age, if, if we could just stop one person going through what we went through as a family, then, then job done and, and that's worthwhile. So we, we continue to do that. We continue to try and support people the last 12 months have been extremely difficult as as an organization for individuals you know our calls have gone up 300 percent um while also you know our usual fundraisers events have been cancelled so it's it's been difficult um but i do i do hope that some of the the positives we take out of this difficult period are some of the the kind of things we've already talked about on how we can look after our, ourselves a little bit more. But also I think, you know, a big thing for me has been the, that actually people are nice people. I think quite often we think people are just dicks, but what I've found, you know, majority of people deep down are actually nice people. And I think we've seen, we've seen a lot of the bad side of humanity over the last 12 months, but we've also seen a lot of the good side, I think. Yeah, that's very true. I, I agree with you, Matt. I always think, I don't, I can't think of many people that I've met where I've thought there's nothing redeemable about them. There's mm. nothing to, you know, I think ultimately people mean, most people mean well. Um, yeah. Whether, where, you know, whether it, it comes across like that or not is obviously a different matter. But generally, I think, I think you're right. I think people mean well and people do genuinely want to be, want to be good people. And, you know, the, 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 the that, what you were talking about there, Matt, about the, support for for people and for families who've who've lost someone to suicide in the, the same way that, that, that your family did i think that's such a that's such a vital um that's such a vital thing for people to have i think that's the because as you say i think for most people you wouldn't even think about all the stuff that has to come after it i yeah you know it hadn't even occurred to me you know to even things like you you know arranging funerals and things like that is just i, I think to have support for things like that is is absolutely vital for families and it, it's sort of a, a massive shame that it doesn't it doesn't exist in terms of you know in terms of like a country-wide thing that's just, yeah, not just like 100%. a standard thing that, that's 100%. offered to people because it just yeah. seems so simple doesn't it yeah and such an obvious an obvious sort of um you know service for people to have access to yeah yeah, and such a vital service considering you know how many people are being devastated up and down the country every week by this. Um, 
it's a no it's a no-brainer but um yeah i could i could have a big argument about that that sort of stuff for a long time <laughs> yeah <laughs> i bet you could Matt. i bet you could Matt. um and on world mental health day 2018 um Theresa May appointed uh, Jackie Doyle Price as the UK's first suicide prevention minister. Yeah, and I was reading that a petition that 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 you had a part of was, um, I think it had more than about four hundred thousand signatures, which which yeah. made a real impact on the outcome and and put a lot of pressure on the government to to go through with that and put that position in place. That must have been quite a that must have been quite an emotional moment for 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 you and for your family to have you know to have played a part in in something that should be historic for. The way that the country kind of deals with with mental health and suicides sort of long term. Yeah. yeah, no, a hundred percent to have to be to be you know a small cog in in something that that had a national acknowledgement and actually you know the government showing some intent towards trying to prevent this was was massive and you know to be to be able to share our story as a family to keep Dan's memory alive and to use that as hopefully a, a platform for, for, for others to, to, to not have to experience something similar was, was amazing. And, you know, it, it's, it's, I certainly can't take credit for it because the, the work that went on and, you know, the support and the people that got involved was, was unbelievable, but to be a, to be a small part of that was, was amazing. Yeah, I can well imagine. And 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 you know what you were describing there about you know your mum getting funding for a for a for a laptop to start the the foundation and for it to be where it is now with you know twenty three staff and you know in you know helping people all over the the, the northeast and the country and whatever it, yeah. it it must just fill you all I suppose with you know the immense sadness of the where it's come from but I suppose immense pride at, at what you've been able to to do and, and, and do with something that's, that's, you know, with what you've been able to do in terms of a positive way with the grief, I guess, as well. And it's um, incredibly admirable for all rounds. Kind of looking forward to the future then with the sort of positive momentum that that, that, that you guys and, and lots of, of other people have built up with conversations around mental health seems to be having more and more in the open now. It feels more like the type of thing that's, I mean, I know we had the Roman Kemp documentary on very, very yeah. recently and that was, you know, primetime BBC and you know, very shortly after that we had the um CSA documentary about uh, you know football star secret secret was on the BBC as well. And yeah. there's all these things seem to be having ha- seem to be happening not in in the shadows anymore, more in the in the open for people, which is which is exactly what we want. And I suppose then from your perspective, Matt, from the work that you're doing and the things that you've seen, what kind of changes would you like to see with with regards to, to mental health services that are offered you know, maybe on the NHS or the local authorities, but you know, at point of contact for for all for all people. Yeah, it's a it's a fantastic question, and I think part of it for me is if if we are talking predominantly about men here and how how we get towards kind of men in in a better way because you know it's the biggest killer of men. Um, I think how how we do that and how we encourage these conversations, we need to look at it different because you know we we keep saying oh, men need to talk, men need to talk, men need to talk. But actually, we just keep seeing the need to talk. Actually, when we give them the right platform and the right environment, they are able to talk, they are able to communicate. Look at what we're doing at this moment in time. You know, kind of, we can do it if we're given the right platform. Um, it just has to be in the way that we feel comfortable. It's, you know, it's a prime example of, think about all of the, 
all other companies, all other kind of think about beauty products and how how they'll how they'll sell things. Somebody was giving us this example, and it sticks with us now of uh, you know Nivea um, and Bulldog kind of moisturizer. If if you give a give a pro a bloke some Nivea moisturizer, no, I'm not going to use that. But you give them Bulldog, oh Bulldog, yeah, yeah, that's a proper man's man's way of doing it. They were so basic. Oh, so mate, <laughs> mate, honestly, but you know that that is the thing where maybe we need to learn from these clever c- companies and brands that actually it's, it's about how we promote these things and it's you know normalizing this and making it relatable. I don't, you know, for for me, I I would love to hear your thoughts on kind of. I mean, I've watched both in terms of the Roman Kemp and football's data secret, and even for me, I think the toughest part was seeing these blokes fully breaking down and, you know, being so emotional and being so honest and it inspires you to think, oh, well, actually, you know, it's okay. It's okay to feel like that. And actually there are other people, doesn't have to be the same circumstances that have felt these emotions and have expressed these emotions. And I think that is where the power comes. You know, the 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 people that will kind of reach out as, as part of these documentaries. And I'm not saying we need to be doing a documentary every week, but it's just about making it relatable to, to, the people that we're trying to target. Yeah, I, 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 um, it's funny that you should say that, Mac, because there's a bit in the documentary that the all that since I watched it is stuck in my mind where there was a group of friends where one of their friend circle had um, a died from suicide, and they were sitting in a in a circle in what I think it was a back room of a pub. Yeah, and and they were they were talking to each other about. I think both about their friend's death and how it made them feel, but also about, you know, just about themselves and stuff. And I've yeah. never seen a room full of people who look less comfortable talking. Oh. <laughs> and I just was like, that is, but, and it's, it's just, it's jarring, isn't it? To see yeah. men talk in that way and, and, and express themselves in that way, even in that environment where it's literally a documentary about men's mental health. Yeah. Even yeah. in that environment, it, it still feels uncomfortable. And, you know, I remember being in, in, in the pub where, you remember we had that brief interlude from lockdown at some point in the summer. Yeah. We, were in, we were in the pub, myself and, 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 and my mates, and we were all talking about um, one of our friends who very recently had had a baby and then him and his, you know, he'd had some difficulties on the back of it with, you know, am I good enough with being a dad and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And and everyone had a few pints and, and we're... we're but having that conversation and it took me back to that and it just was like every now and again once someone had to make a joke to like break the, the awkwardness like the Lord. yeah someone would be like oh yeah but you know some stupid joke about something and then we could carry on talking again and yeah like, yeah you, you should still shit yeah yeah just yeah yeah I, I feel bad for you mate but your trainees are still rubbish <laughs> you know what i mean like we just can't but i think as you say it's learning to talk to men in the way that men talk rather than trying to teach them to talk differently. It's getting down into the language that men understand, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And, but the, the other thing I tend to find is once we start talking about it, it's almost a free pass for others to talk about it. Like I'm not a, I'm not a big one for posting loads of stuff on social media, but the rare things I do around mental health, the messages I'll get after, you know, I felt like that. I felt like that. And it's, it's almost like, oh, somebody's done it, so I've got a free pass. It's somebody yeah. who understands. Um, you know, but the fact of the matter is we're all dealing with our own shit. And we we if we can if we can let the guard off a little bit, and I know this is easier said than done, but show a little bit of what's the word I'm looking for? 
um, it's not weakness, but just a little bit of, you know, the, the difficult things in life and acknowledge that it gives the rest of our pals a free, a free pass to actually open up about that as well. Yeah. A little bit of vulnerability, isn't it? Vulnerability. That's the word I'm looking for. See that that's what that's what three years and 30 grand of an English degree gets you. You <laughs> remember words when other people don't. <laughs> Very well spent. It was all worth it. It was all worth it, man. <laughs> Welcome back. Thank you for still being with us. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Matthew Smith, I think. And as you said, kind of pre-interview, a really difficult story and that that's something that's, you know, everything that's come out of what's happened to his brother is is was such a horrible thing to happen to any family and for for them as a family to kind of come together and and turn that into a positive and turn that into something that's you know trying actively to stop it happening to other families is is both admirable and it's also you know i, I mean there's 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 hard to put it into words isn't it really it's it's, it's quite a beautiful thing yeah definitely absolutely it's definitely a, a really good thing um to kind of uh provide the support and the level of support and the awareness for one, I think a lot of people are providing awareness at, at this point in time. And I think he mentioned, you know, we need to do a bit more. Um, we need to go a bit further and, and work out how we actually reach these people. And what started as a a little wristband um, has now developed into something that's absolutely fantastic. You know, you go on the website and there's various different uh, things you can do. You can get involved, you can... Um, get the workshops and stuff I think the really good thing I like is they provide these workshops to like schools as well mm-hmm. which I think is fantastic I know it's a it's probably a bit of a tricky subject around that age as well um, uh, you know whether they should learn it whether they shouldn't what, but I think they should I think oh I agree you know they need to you know people of a younger age it almost doesn't need to be a surprise to them that at some point in your life it might be really hard yeah this and, and um, it also from Matthew's perspective, he was very, very young no, when yeah. it came across in his family. And you could imagine that in that position, the thing that would be kind of most difficult to a degree would be the not understanding what's going on and not really getting it and being confused. And that was certainly something that yeah, he, I think Matthew kind of alluded to, yeah. didn't he, in, in the interview? Yeah, he mentions it, doesn't he? He says, you know, I, I don't know why he did it. I'm never going to know why he did it, but I accept I'm never going to know why he did it. And I think that's a really big step to take. Huge. You know, when he was talking about it, you could see, you could, I think you could kind of hear, you know, in his voice, it was still quite hard to talk about, which I imagine it will be for the rest of time, really. Um, but to have that level of understanding, to, to be able to grow something that he has done with such a positive impact. And you can see it, you know, there's various different tweets, there's various different challenges people have done. It's fantastic. And he's got, he's such a, a level-headed yeah. individual yeah. I mean you say he's like near our age so like I think he's a little bit younger than us yeah. Matt I think he's he's a few years younger than us yeah he puts us to shame like Mate, to be he absolutely mugged us off <laughs> his accent is much nicer than ours <laughs> and he spoke better than us and he I was gonna say he picked a better football team to support than us but he does support Newcastle no they are a couple of these high so that's fine but I think the, the way <laughs> he spoke about it is understanding of, of men in general as well um I think you asked him the question about you know talking about how men actually like speak to each other yeah and obviously you spoke about that night we had in the pub and how people had to you know cut the cut the tension with a bit of a joke or something yeah. like that but it, you know he makes a really good point if if you know someone <laughs> advertises Nivea for men they're not really going to buy it but put Bulldog on it and they're all over it yeah. you know what I mean it's um, 
it's kind of that. So I think that's a really important thing. Maybe that might change how people interact with men um, and how people interact with everyone really is changing anyway. So And also how men interact with themselves yeah, as well. Absolutely. So it's really how men talk to themselves. Yeah. I, think, I think the school element's very good because, I mean, I unfortunately went to a funeral this year by, um, from somebody who died by suicide and they had a, a two-year-old who wouldn't have even known what was going on who may not grieve for 10, 15 years later when everybody else who has grieved at the time has maybe come to terms with it a bit more. So you've got to respect people will grieve at different stages as well. Yeah. So I think if you do grow up without a parent or a brother or a sister, at a point that it happened when you wasn't even young enough to know what was going on, that's slightly different to Matthews. He probably had some awareness. Yeah. I think it's important that those people don't get left out mm. because they may grow up never wanting to ask about it because it's almost taboo to raise. That's exactly the point, isn't it? Is yeah. that what what will what? Unfortunately, suicide is still is at this point. It is getting better, but suicide is still such a kind of you know. There's someone as soon as someone mentions that word, it, it almost you can feel that. The, the oxygen leave the room to a degree yeah, it's one yeah. of those words isn't it it's like cancer's the same isn't it you think oh it just makes you kind of squirm I think people in their seats mm-hmm. and it's understandable why there is it's a difficult topic to talk about but as you say you may have someone who may get like in Matthew's position five ten years down the line and they might go what happened what happened to my brother or what happened to my dad mm-hmm. or what happened to my uncle or my auntie my mom my nan whoever it might be and if you're in an environment and you've created an environment where you're okay so they they die from suicide, what suicide? Well, they, you know, it's when somebody's X, Y, and Z. Do you know what I mean? And, mm. and I think that's a that's a really healthy environment to create. And talking about the schools thing, I think creating an attitude for kids that it's okay to ask those questions. It's yeah. okay to, to to be curious about it and understand what it is, where it comes from, what you need to know about it, and how to behave to people when they're going through that situation. Yeah. We, we, just, I mean, this week we, I think it was a, a couple of days ago, we had uh, in our local area, we had someone who, who I think the, the motorways were short because someone did try to, to die by suicide. Um, so it raised like a couple of questions in our in, in our WhatsApp group, and the there was various different different opinions, and there was various different things. There was nothing terrible or anything like that. It was more just a kind of and un- trying to gain an understanding mm. of, of why or how someone could get to that level. And it's really difficult because it's just related to the individual. So when you're saying cancer, well, the thing you see with cancer now is you see a lot of communities that are built from cancer. You see races, um, fundraising, all sorts of things are built through that. You know, our mate Danny DeBrabs has built a massive community of people to support him, to support others. With suicide and mental health in particular, that's I feel lonely quite young in a, mm. in, in terms of a support yeah, in yeah. terms of support in a, in a just a wider certainly suicide no, I mean you, you see a lot of I mean we we, we interviewed Danny DeBrabs the other night mm. and his episode will be out in the next few weeks or so and it, I mean his story is just incredible and he's an amazing guy but you see a lot with cancer and stuff where there is discussions around you know they die from cancer and, they, and people will use that as a, a, you know a thing for to raise money or to raise awareness or to, to help people whereas as you say with suicide it's still like a you die from suicide but you know we don't really talk about it you know we don't want to talk about it and and i think why i referenced johnny sharples when we we first started this episode is because johnny's 
very open about talking about the fact that his brother died from suicide and the fact that they went through that as a family. And I found Johnny's kind of attitude to it very similar to, to Matthew's. Obviously, different circumstances because everyone's circumstances individual, as you say. But I think as you as you were saying there, it's, it's that kind of trying to change the way that we think about it in the aftermath of the suicide. Absolutely. And, you know, if I go back to that WhatsApp group I was just talking about, you know, I think one of the comments was, well, that's why why you're doing what you're doing with mm. that podcast is because people do need to talk about these things. People need to have the conversations that don't make them uncomfortable, but maybe push the limits and go, yeah. actually, I've kind of learned something because there are, and that's where the stigma around mental health comes in. There are things that are assumed about these certain things and are assumed about a, a lot of different topics. And as soon as you go, actually, let's take those assumptions away. Let's hear from someone who's kind of gone through it. And I think this, you know, obviously we have Matthew, we've had Darren Connolly as well. I think to, to listen to those people and hear what they've gone through and what they're going through creates a, right, okay, I've, I, I can understand this now. I, I've got a much better grasp of of what is actually happening to those people and in people, you know, that you meet in work or whatever, people, just a general population. And I think the tragic thing about what Matthew said was, obviously when they started, the, it was the, the second biggest killer. Mm-hmm. Um, it's obviously now the the, the first. Um, biggest killer of, 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 of men. Of men, yeah. yeah. And well, that, it, it biggest killer of men under the age of 40, isn't it? Yeah, sorry, yeah. Tw- um, yeah, 25 to 40, I think it is. Which is, I, which is, I mean, I think we've we've said that statistic a number of times on the podcast. It's just always it, yeah. worth repeating yeah. because of how quite extraordinary that is. That you know, I, I think it was um, a previous guest that we had on who said the thing. You know, the biggest risk to young men is themselves. It's, yeah, it's themselves, yeah. and and that's it's frightening, isn't it? Yeah, I, I just think it's such a. It, it just, I mean, that statistic alone just highlights how far behind we are of all of this. And the stuff that Matthew's doing highlights, hang on, we can we can change it. There is a there is a point where it will change and things like what he's doing will make it so much better for oh, yeah. people. So hats off to him because and hats off to everyone involved in that because it's it's absolutely fantastic. And to do it out of out of what was a tragedy and what is a tragedy is is even better. Yeah, and they've done it as a family as well. And yeah. that's you know, I, I suppose they probably draw strength from that and, and it's something that kind of binds them together, and you know, as they they move through their life, I think that's that's probably a probably yep. a good place for us to wrap up, chaps. Thanks for your for your time and for your thoughts, and thanks to you, the listener, for for joining us again. I hope that you've found that useful and found it interesting to to listen to what Matthew had to say and listen to, to kind of our thoughts as well. And um, we'll be back on Friday with another Euros episode. At that point, the tournament will have concluded the group stages, so we'll be having a look back over the whole of the group stages, all the permutations will have been worked out at that point and we can look forward to the knockout stages. And then on the following Monday, we'll be joined by Johnny Benjamin, as we previously mentioned, and that's a, you know, that's another really interesting interview, another really interesting person for us to look forward to. If you uh, if you do want to find out a little bit more about uh, If You Care Share, they've got a, a website where you can reach, which is www.ifyoucareshare.co.uk. They're also on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And they have a hotline that you can ring as well, which is 0191-387-5661. And as Ant and Ryan have both said, there's an enormous amount on their website to go and get involved with. Loads of stuff that you can do if you need that type of support. 
definitely worth checking them out couple of other organizations if you need someone to speak to on a uh, on a day-to-day basis of course the samaritans 116123 and calm zone which is a phone line which is available 5 p.m to midnight 0800 58 58 58 so before we conclude today's episode we're going to hand you over to matthew's quiz his mini quiz um at the moment sam hutchinson sits atop the quiz leaderboard uh second is jason brown followed by chris hall and alan Mon sat in the relegation zone um we won't dwell on that for too much longer but let's see if matthew can take himself to the top of that leaderboard and knock sam hutchinson off his perch of his james perch <laughs> which i'm sure would be great for matthew as a newcastle fan james perch newcastle legend perchino i believe is perchino Quite right, mate. Quite right. But before we hand you over to, to Matthew's mini quiz, remember that the purpose of Man Marking is to encourage men to become more comfortable talking about their mental health. We've started that conversation today, but we're asking you to keep it going. Talk to your friends, talk to your family, talk to your colleagues, talk to strangers. But most important of all, remember to listen, because sometimes listening could save a life. Thanks to you for listening. Um, over the past week, the world has watched as a very large boat has been stuck in the Suez Canal. Could you tell me the name of that boat? Everybody's been taught it's Evermore or something like that. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, it's a canal that I'd never even heard of, to be honest, before this week. But now everybody knows about it. It's Evermore. Or I want to call it Evergreen, but it's not Evermore. Oh, you very close. Ever Given. And I was thinking... Oh, There's, I was thinking, should I give him a little clue of um, you know, it's it, 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 apparently it's named after a former Newcastle United. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so earlier this year, a former Love Island contestant was named as the government's mental health ambassador. Who was that contestant? Uh, Doctor Alex. Yeah, there you go. We're on. We're off and running. Mate, how, how embarrassing that is! I know the Love Island one, but I don't know the one that's been going on this week. <laughs> Nobody, nobody, nobody said this had to be highbrow. We never claimed to be highbrow. <laughs> um, so the charity, your, your charity, if you care, share, um, I believe is based in uh, in Chester Street. Um, right. Which Sheffield Wednesday footballer hails from Chester Street? Oh, I know that one because I went to school with them. Adam Reach. Adam Reach. There you go. He's a great player, Adam Reach, as well. What, what a player and an even nicer lad. So in the 2005 film Goal, which is obviously all about Santiago Munez's journey to become a Newcastle United legend. Yeah. What does Santiago use in place of shin pads at the very start of the film? Oh, it's like, it's bits of cardboard, isn't it? It is. It is bits of cardboard. Do you know what? I thought of that question and I was convinced it was newspaper. I don't know why. Right, yeah. yeah. It's newspaper. Just imagine him shoving the Daily Express. What a film, by the way. Oh, amazing. What a film. Does um there's a, a bit in that film. This is this is this is quite funny. This so there's a bit in this in the film, and it's towards the beginning of it. And there's a lad who's playing in the Newcastle reserves team, who's a scouser, and they they they're talking about like where they played, and he says something like, oh, I got signed from Tramia or something like that." And I watched the film in Birkenhead, which is which is where Tramia is, and when he yeah. said. And when, well, I must have been. So 2005 was like 16 years ago, so I was 12 at the time. And <laughs> we were in the cinema. 
And the lad goes, the lad goes, yeah, yeah, a sand, a sand uh, from Tramia, and everyone in the cinema went, way. <laughs> <laughs> Big up Tramia. <laughs> on the If You Can Share website, you are um, there's like a little question and answer thing on your profile, and one of the um, questions that you're asked is, if you could travel to anywhere in the world, where would you go? Do you remember what your answer was? Oh, come on. <laughs> um, I want to uh, Vegas. Yes, Vegas. Yes. I was thinking if you get that one wrong, it's bleeding about you. You said it. You got to remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so question number six: uh, Across the course of his twenty-year association with the club, how many league appearances did Steve Harper make as a Newcastle United player? And I'll say, oh. I'll say, get it within ten. You can have it within ten. Across how long, sorry? 20 year association with the club. 110? Oh, you've got, you've lowballed Steve Harper there. Have, I, have I done him dirty, have I? 157. Oh, 157. fair play. Steve. Fair play. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would I feel he was dealt, dealt a difficult hand in terms of trying to compete with Shea Given, to be fair. So, question number seven, the penultimate question. In October of 2018, an Aston Villa fan threw a vegetable at the current Newcastle manager, Steve Bruce. What was that vegetable? Cabbage. It was a cabbage. <laughs> <laughs> cabbage, he's... Yeah. As, he, as he's very kind of politely called in the, <laughs> in the northeast region now. We'll, like, uh, we'll move on from Steve Bruce very quickly. Yeah, let's. let's. <laughs> um, Along with your friend Mark Carruthers, you are raising money for If You Care Share by walking how many steps in the month of May? Um, one million. One million. That is mad, you know. How mm. are you going to walk a million steps? So um, it works out at about 14,000 a day. Um, so it's just making sure we're getting out and getting out walking. Uh, it's So it's like a million between us, a so half a yeah. million each, um, which is still a decent effort, I would yeah. say. Um, but the the reason for well the connection between me and Mark is kind of through through the organisation we've become very close. We now and um, we we did and are going to kind of get it going again. Run a podcast together um, called Mental, which is obviously about men's mental health. Um, and yeah, just just looking to do a little bit. It goes back to the fundraising thing we were saying of you know it's been tough the last twelve months and every penny counts for us because you know we are still relatively quite a small charity and every penny can can save a life, to be honest. 